0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. How do you support a thriving music industry in a city, especially when local residents don't want a nightclub next door? Strict noise regulations and licensing rules can stifle cultural vibrancy in our cities. Shane Shapiro of Sound Diplomacy advises cities on supporting the music economy we spoke to him about what kinds of spaces are necessary to make a music scene. And in an age of venues closing, what can be done?
1: My name is Shane Shapiro. I'm the founder and president of Sound Diplomacy. We are a strategic consultancy that works with cities, governments, and property developers on music and nighttime economy policy and strategy all over the world.
0: So fill me in, what's happening now in our cities when it comes to music?
1: Well, it's it's a complicated, compl- it's very complicated. It depends what kind of music and it depends what city. But I think that, you know, there's there are a lot of issues right now if we look at the UK in terms of need for housing. And because we do need housing, that's, that's true. Uh, it does seem to push everything else off into the... into. The nice to have rather than the need to have and and we are not having as nuanced a conversation about what creates a genuine place and a genuine kind of mixed use community that caters to all people all pla of all ethnicities uh, and I think that music is unfortunately it's quite a complex uh, usage for a building so and we To me, our our property development, our our planning system, prioritizes the land that the building sits on rather than what happens inside the building. It's more valuable than what happens inside the building. So you would want to fill the building with the most valuable thing that would increase the value of the land. Music is not that. Music is a long-tail business, so it costs quite a lot of money to create, uh, whether you're doing it live, you're doing it behind the scenes and professionally. But it lasts for a long time. So once you've written a successful song, you'll make money off of it for the rest of your life. And your children will make money out of it and your children's children so long as you continue to own it. If you translate that into yield, into how property makes money, it's, it, it, it doesn't fit. Because if I go to a, a developer and I say, you know we want to create a music venue, for example, whatever that may be, and even the term music venue is worth talking about, Uh, usually we have to present a business model that uses music as the way to get people in the door to do other things that's first thing music venue in and of itself is mixed-use and two is music makes a lot a smaller amount of money over a longer period of time so it's quite a it can be quite a safe investment but it's not an immediate yield investment so putting a music venue together building literally building it is expensive building it to code is expensive Uh, and And operating it is expensive and you have to have a long term plan uh, and you have to understand the role of the venue in the community and the role of the venue in serving the community. And these are complicated, nuanced questions that require a number of different sectors to come together. And I think that we have come a long way in this conversation, but we're just beginning, because. You know, two, two and a half years ago, uh, before I worked on the Night Czar and before I, um, the mayor of London did a, a a lot of work related to music, music venues that I also worked on, there wasn't any conversation, right? It was, you know, it was very much, oh, the venues have always been there. And if one closes, another one will open. Or, you know, anyone can have a recording studio. And now we're looking at music like we look at, place in and of itself as an ecosystem. So if we lose that music venue, how does that impact other bits of the ecosystem? Does that mean that, you know, there's going to be less kids playing violin at that school over there? Or does it mean that less people are going to be listening to music on Spotify or more music on Spotify? Who knows? And and when we come back to land, to me, it's very, very hard to make that that basic yield, that basic argument on the spreadsheet that says that if you put a music venue in a place, it will make you money in this way. And we have found that the more, um, you know, the more culture-focused, nuanced developers are really open to learning about how a music venue fits in, and it's taking time. So in because of that, we've seen venues close, we've seen, um, we've... You know, we, we've seen a lot of things happen that, that make it look like things I believe are worse than they actually are.
0: When we talk about um, music venues, what is the, the perception? Why is it that people think or is there a general perception that housing and music venues don't mix?
1: I think so. Well, uh, one person's music's another person's noise. That's the first thing, one thing that we've learned. And we tend not to understand music that we don't like. So we tend to ascribe value onto certain types of music, and then we do not understand the value of other types of music. That's why, you know, fabric to some people is equivalent to the Royal Opera House. But if you like opera and you don't like electronic music or vice versa, you won't understand. So this creates a... Uh, This creates an issue in the UK where certain venues are seen as more valuable than other venues. That's step one. So we have a term called grassroots music venues, which essentially, it's kind of defined by the elephant test, like if it looks like an elephant, and and it's probably an elephant, Um, but it's mainly venues under 1500 capacity. These are venues like the 100 Club on Oxford Street or the Lexington in in Angel, or there's hundreds of them across the country. And, you know, it's a widely known statistic that this is something that I worked on. About 35% of these venues have closed in the last 10 years in London, mirrored within the rest of the country for a number of different reasons. But one of them is a lot of these venues were built a long time ago and do not have the noise attenuation that a newer venue would have. And in addition to that, they don't have the... Dispersal policies when people leave they make noise or when people smoke outside they make noise so that does create um, That you know when a resident can't sleep they get really upset when I can't sleep I get upset so it that does create tension that's step one. Second is that In the UK, you know the average age of a local counselor is what 59.6 now So those people have a well, I'm, I don't want to In a general sense, there's some amazing counsellors out there, but the people who are going to these venues are very different from the people creating the policies that govern these venues. Add on um, that, you know, we we have a licensing system that that is based on stopping things from happening rather than managing things when they happen. You know, a music venue and a bar, anything that sells alcohol is one of the only places where you can object to it before it even opens. You can object to a concept. Right? So, I believe that all of these things put together creates tension where a music venue is seen as a noise-making nuisance, antisocial behavior premises. It's not seen as a as an innovation hub. It's not seen as an incubator. But when you have a successful song like Adele or Ed Sheeran, which is worth billions to our economy, it started somewhere, and that's intellectual property that was incubated in this venue, like a tech hub. It's the same thing. So we struggle with definition. We struggle with, uh, you know, some stringent licensing regimes. You know, I don't want to. Every every place is different. And I don't like to generalize, but the trend is that it's tougher. The licensing conditions are a lot tougher on music venues every condition costs money that reduces your bottom line and you have these buildings that are difficult to change they are in basements so you can't create ways to make them fully accessible that's a big problem literal access is a big problem Um, they, you know, they're, they're in Victorian buildings that comes with issues you can't increase the staging, which means you can only welcome certain types of artists because you don't have the capacity to welcome other types of artists, so on and so forth. This does create issues. So you have an antiquated stock in some respects, um, you know, you have, um, more density. People are living closer and closer together in town centers more people living closer together around noise-making premises. You have local councils that are much more stringent from a licensing perspective. And what this says is, you know, if you don't understand the music and you've never been to the place and you just see a couple of headlines saying that it's noise is being created or there's nuisance issues, then what are you going to think? And the debate is broken. So I, I just believe it's entirely wrong. I think that a music venue is no better or worse than anything else. There shouldn't be one on every corner, but there but we can, you know, through analysis understand what need what would best be suited in a particular place in relation to the community and and where music venues are required and maybe where there's too many. But it's but this nuanced educated analysis is not being done. And what we see on the music industry side, which is where I come from, is that what we call our talent development pipeline becomes an hourglass, right? Where we get a lot at the top and a lot at the bottom and a shrink to middle. We see that music education provision is being reduced across the country, which means that you can only learn music if you have money. That's a big problem. That means we create a, you know, a lot of middle-class musicians. And then we look at the policies that govern our built environment are not fit for purpose to support culture. I think that is changing with the work that was done on agent of change provision and a number of other things, but but historic, and I think that the London plan is fantastic and local plans are, in London at least, are um, being significantly more friendly towards music in the evening and nighttime economy. It's cha- I think it's changing for the better, but with this, you know, this is to gener- a generation of Um, us versus them in this regard. So what we try to do is we try to change the definition of a music venue. We try to explain that this is a very loaded term that means different things to different people and that every development should, every development, in my opinion, a mixed-use development, not just a, a housing development, but every development should cater to music in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't need to be a music venue. It can be a properly outfitted public realm or privately owned public realm. So that when street performers are welcomed in you can plug in directly into the mains and that can control the, the noise levels um, You know building in sunken amphitheater so people can sit but also there can be performance opportunities or looking at your section 106 obligations and seeing This is work that we do is we do cultural and music audits for developers. We tell we 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 help them understand the local community. What arts music organizations are there? What space do they need? How can they be partners in this? And we look at the section 106 six obligations to see what a community actually would benefit from and then ask the community if we're right because sometimes we're not and it's their decision and then that usually helps, um, helps change the narrative because once you bring people together to talk about music in a non-threatening way, in a way where everyone can kind of understand each other, then they see, oh, it's not so bad. Well, so, developers
0: will say to me, you know, I want this to be a really vibrant place. Councils will say it, right? I want it to be really vibrant. I want yeah, cultural vibrancy, yeah. And 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 yet, I think they and they want it to be safe, and they want some footfall. They want it to be feel safe at night, right? And all these things that a music venue can provide, which so, is
1: so feeling safe at night means that you're under the vision that if you don't do anything, it's dangerous so again it's a it's a negative. We want us to feel safe because we assume that it's going to be dangerous. that in and of itself is a big problem and i and I completely understand that. I was having a conversation today with someone um from the u s and i was i I explained that you know the closing of our sure start centers many of these sure start centers had really makeshift recording studios in them <laughs> and it's it's common sense that if someone is given an opportunity to be creative, then that will give them self-worth. And and now, instead of trying to understand why people do the things that they're doing, why they're so, why, why they the desperation is at a point where they're willing to literally play with their life, like, like have life-threatening situations through knife, crime. through knife crime. And then what the government does is it tries to criminalize the type of music that they're expressing themselves, their drill music. It, it doesn't make any sense. It, again, it's we want it to be safe, um, but we also want it to make money on our terms. We want it to be lively, but it has to bring a return. It, this is because the system that it's not, no, it's nobody's fault. The system in and of itself is is is, is about viability. <laughs> That's the way it is. Unless... And that, that's why we see that, you know, the mayor of London has to create a land trust just to promote the creative and cultural industries with the creative land trust, which I think is a good idea. It's, it's an old idea that, you know, Americans use it for our, um, to preserve greenfield sites, right? National preservation and and, archi- and agricultural preservation and historical preservation. Why can't we preserve culture? So, when a develop, you know, so it, it, it's to us. Our solution is to better understand local communities because we think, how can we make things better? How can we make things, you know, what is the new model here? The new model is not a music venue on every corner. The new model is understanding the local community better and working with the local community. Um, And maybe redefining the term affordable to make it genuinely affordable. Because there's always going to be a conflict. So, so it's, I find that, you know, vibrancy comes through meanwhile, right? So it's, it's a number, you know, we see that, um, the sector, you know, there's a lot of investment in placemaking and meanwhile activations, and there's some fantastic people doing great meanwhile activations around the country, not just music, all sorts of things. And. That is fantastic. Um, But to us, it needs, you know, we we would hope that it is part of a greater community engagement strategy that is constantly engaging with the local community alongside. Because meanwhile does mean temporary. So we've seen certain developments have a lot of music during the meanwhile, during the staging process. And then when the development is finished, there's no more music. (laughs) And I wish I had all the solutions to this. I just feel that we there has to be give and take on both sides.
0: And how would you redefine viability?
1: Well, 20% profit, right? Is is the isn't it is is the minimum. minimum. That's the definition. I don't know. I would redefine I would have and I think a lot of developers are doing this already. I think that there's different types of viability. I think there's social viability. I know that Lenlease is doing a lot of work on social impact right now. I'm sure lots of other developers are. I just had a chat with Lenlease a couple of days ago. Um, I think that, that that's you know, social metrics are equally important. Are people healthier? Are they um, you know, one of the things that we're working on in music, not related to development, is is the role of music in health and well-being. You know, can music, and there's this debate around this, can music reduce the amount of drugs someone takes? Like prescription drugs. If you reduce the amount of prescription drugs, then you spend less money on prescription drugs. So there are doctors prescribing music right now. Go to the choir and sing instead of taking an antidepressant. So I think that that, if we look at land, how can buildings and land in our environment make us happier and healthier? Uh, And I know that there's lots of debate around that. That, to me, should be included in viability. It's if a, if a place isn't viable, then what else can we do? Um, and I, I wish I had all the answers for that. But but we see what, what we're doing now is not working. You know, the the business rate system is not working right now. You know, there's a number of music venues that are being threatened because of their rates bills when you have the Lexington and Islington having their rates go up over hundred percent but Emirates stadiums went down seven percent there's a system that is not fair <laughs> so that you know so that so and that also comes in viability and the rate system are are um, part of the same you know planning system that we've grown that we've now, these are the types I, so I don't know. I just wish cultural viability, social viability, health and well-being viability need to stand for something as well as the ability for someone to make minimum twenty percent return on their investment.
0: What can cities like Liverpool and Manchester, which have seen themselves as vibrant music scenes and they seem to be starting to go through what London has gone through, which is venue closures and and big changes so what what needs to exist in a city to preserve its music economy? In the UK? In the UK.
1: It is hard because cities have very little power here to tax compared to in the US, for example, or Canada. Um, I think that the local plans of these cities need to recognize um, recognize music and music venues more bluntly and deliberately and intentionally so we just did the music policy for Cardiff um, and it's it's online and in that we have worked we're working with them to see what elements of the local plan can be addressed to be seen as pro music from street performance to um, conservation areas to you know why can't there be a cultural conservation area or music conservation area and that's a particular hot topic in Cardiff because a venue is closed right now that could have been potentially protected by By the creation of a conservation area. Uh, That's a very short answer to a long story, but um, I think that you know, you need the intentionality which I think already happens in Liverpool and Manchester We work in both cities. The, The metro mayors are doing great work Proclaiming how important music is. Manchester has a nightmare now. Sasha Lord, um, who's incredibly experienced, knows what he's doing. He founder the Warehouse Project. Um, I think they, you know, they're both they both creating or created music boards, um, but those are our advisory capacity. We had one in London, which is on hold right now, uh, and we've learned a lot of lessons from that as well. I think that we need. Every city should look at the role of music across non-music policies. And that's what we tried to do in Cardiff. And something I call music urbanism, it's just what is music's role in public health? What is music's role in planning? What is music's role in licensing? What is music's role in regeneration? These are all government departments that hopefully talk to each other, sometimes don't. Um, and there may not be a role, but you should still ask that question. Because music is that one thing that cuts through everything. It's a way to bring people together to talk about something that they may not agree with. In the US, we do a lot of work in cities where we're actually talking about race, but we're just doing it through music, right? We're trying to make a place more equitable, more fair. um, And we do it by bringing people together to talk about what, how the music community can better work together. And I think in the UK, it would go a long way for every city to install a music officer, to have a public post. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is right now, but we believe that every major city, Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Cardiff, the the core cities, um, as well as the major cities, should have music offices, London has one. Um, I also believe that most of London's councils should, some do, some don't. I think that their role should be about translating the impact of music and measuring its impact internally and that's a lot of the work that amy lemay does as the knights are and then the other uh, piece of work should be about celebrating i think that the cities don't do that as much in manchester we're working on a music tourism strategy for them right now and and the recommendations are all about just talking about how great you are um liverpool's done a very good job of that lately but they didn't used to but every city has a music heritage Coventry in the city of culture uh, is going to be doing a lot um, around music.
0: in terms of equity that idea of you know that music and Music can be successful music can come out of anywhere any spot in the city. How do you encourage music equity in a city?
1: Well, the first thing is that policymakers have to be agnostic towards genres so and that that's difficult um, in the most popular music in the world far and wide is hip hop. Second most popular form of music is metal. They're probably the two genres that are least understood by policymakers. Not all policymakers. There's some great rappers who are policymakers as well, but, um, I do find that's a problem. So the, you know, the, the reason why a lot of these venues, plastic people, which you spoke of earlier is a great example. It's, it's, it's cultural and social value. Was not as understood as Royal Albert Hall, for example. I know they're they're different, and and you see, and a lot of the a lot of the support in this country towards music goes to certain types of music. Um, It's been that way forever. Let alone, and other countries are far worse. And cities just simply do not understand the impact of certain certain types of music on um, skills on literacy, on job creation, on confidence. There's a great article in the local newspaper in Portland, Oregon today about the burgeoning hip hop scene in Portland and how it has been categorically ignored by the city, historically. It's, again, it's not entirely true. There's some amazing policymakers there who do get it, but if you go historically and you look at what is Portland, Oregon known for, it's, you know, the shins even the Shins are from Arizona, it's uh the Decemberists, hipsters. And I love the Decemberists, but there's way more to Portland than that. And I think that that's the first thing is and, and we need to be intentional about it. City leaders should be should be talking about how welcoming they are to particular types of music. Um especially music led by um uh, minority and, and ethnic communities. And and recognizing again that one person's music is another person's noise, it creates tourism opportunities. It creates you, it's amazing how many people have come to London just to take a picture in um, one of the places that Drake recorded a music video. Same in New Orleans, as Drake recorded his last one in New Orleans. There's there's Shazam music tourism. There's people who are Shazamming areas right now where music videos were were um filmed there's the you know just look at this the craze around Billie eilish right now a 14 year old you know kind of emo songwriter um who is you know who's going to be doing multiple dates at the o2 you know and you have her fan base who are dressing like her which is what everybody did everyone dressed like the beatles but what is the economic value of that? It's 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 huge. And what what can this experience teach the audience? How can it empower people? Um, let alone uh, all forms of electronic music, everything to do with grime, which is an amazing British invention, right? And grime is about the built environment. Grime is like a develop. It's it's like to me, it's developer music. It's brilliant. People are rhyming about their the the buildings around them originally because they grew up, it, it comes from council estates in South London and North London and, and and it's really experiential music. It's experiential music about London originally and now it's a global phenomenon worth billions and billions. So that's step one is be agnostic, celebrate all forms of music. Um, step two is to, re- is I, I do believe that mo- a lot of licensing Regimes licensing committees are not fit for purpose, and we need to be involving the community more, um, as in in licensing. And I'm not sure how to do that because usually those who get involved in licensing do so to stop things from happening. That there is a silent majority uh, that never says anything. It's the people going to the venues. They're not um, they're not writing into a licensing consultation or going to a hearing. I don't know how to solve that, but I do believe that there's a an increased we we need to involve the community more especially especially the young, younger people in the community more in how things actually work
0: can you say your you know your statistics about health and well-being i mean can the community come together to reduce knife crime and depression and drug use amongst teens by giving them something else to do.
1: Well, I think so, but giving them something else to do costs money and takes time and requires political capital and um, may go against other things. It's um, it's a you know the, there's so much great work in being done. It's just all being done in silos. And, and you know there's no overarching policy around this. Uh, and yes, I, I feel that, you need a crisis to do something. So the only reason why we're talking about music venues is because we put out a report 2016, 3 years ago, that said that 35% of music venues have closed. And, you know, that's a problem. That's why we're talking about music venues. <laughs> you know, when when you do things right, people aren't sure you've done anything at all. So it's it's change comes through crisis and I wish it wasn't like that. But we're seeing a lot of fantastic change. So we did a, a piece of work with Enfield Council last year to uh, look at a music audit in their Meridian water space, which is near Tottenham, in, in, uh, near IKEA in Tottenham. And you know, a year later, uh, they've leased a number of, of old industrial sheds to Vibration Group, a promoter, and the Field Day Festival is happening there. That's a win. And that started with a report to say this is a good thing. Maybe you should think about this, and this is why you should think about this. That's a, a win. Um, Vibration Group also do printworks, and printworks is a is a success. Really, it's a it's a great mix. It's a great reuse of a building.
0: But uh, it is a meanwhile.
1: But it is a meanwhile, and I, well, in in its current state, it is a meanwhile. I uh, I, I haven't. I don't know what's happening, but I think that it's it's very successful. <laughs> so, it, and it makes and it makes money, and I believe that you know British Land are very progressive, and, um, and I believe I I believe that you know it will become a a permanent. Meanwhile, <laughs> but there's there's you know I know of ten or fifteen music venue projects happening around the country right now. Um, a lot of developers have written, you know, we've got two music venues written into Section 106 agreements. Uh, I'm working with Waltham Forest Council to bring back a venue in Waltham Forest that the council is fully committed to, um, which I'm excited about. It's called The Standard on Black, one Black Horse Road on the corner. It was a venue for years. And it will become a venue again, and it will be surrounded by housing, and that's okay. <laughs> and um, And there are others in the pipeline uh, across London. Uh, There's also a lot more mixed use spaces that are hosting music. There's loads of places that are doing jazz nights or, um, you know, open mic nights like that are engaging with music all over the city. I think, and, and it's incredibly vibrant. It just, it's just different. So it's, uh, and I'm a uh, eternal optimist but I think that you know to this audience to developers it's it's very very important to you know what we call map your music and cultural ecosystem really understand how the community ticks and and also understand what the music industry needs because what the music if you provide what the music industry needs then everyone will win
0: so what's our tick box of what the industry music
1: the music industry well that's that again that's what we do it's it's you know what type of you know what capacity venue is needed in London right now right through understanding the ecosystem you know where there are recording studio requirements uh, and where there aren't um, where what types of music are underserved I know that um, what types of music are potentially overserved that then uh that then translates into the type of the type of premises that you would be potentially outfitting, or the type of shell and core that you would be providing, and and that also then impacts the leasing agreement that that you would have with a prospective operator.
0: And is there something if you're looking to seed um, the next grime or provide an opportunity for that to emerge from somewhere? What does that look like?
1: I think it's it's uh, about a. a little things everywhere that's you can't create you can't manufacture great music it's impossible it is or it isn't a great song is or it isn't we are completely agnostic in our work we don't uh, we don't advocate for any type of music in any place Uh, we just work with what the community would tell us makes sense so you know having looking at those low value additional Properties that are within your mixed-use scheme. If there's a ground floor use around the corner that may not be as valuable, um, for example, or there's basements uh, that could be utilized, um, or you know any lower value use. First off, soundproof it if you could, um, or at least make sure that it's um, it's enclosed, and then offer it to the community. At you know, even if it's a rates mitigation exercise, right? It's, you know, there's lots of music and cultural organizations in the UK that would benefit from free or discounted space. And then sit down and discuss what you both want out of it. Like, what is the what is the end game here? If the end game is just make stuff happen over a year, okay, that's the end game. Um, if it's providing... um. You know a particular uh, something particular to a particular community for then why and what type of community but and focus on you know and try to try to be again don't prioritize genres just because you like them or don't like them Um, it's uh, we you know DJ booths are some of the cheapest things that you can create they're very small they're like three by two little rooms with a mixer and a couple turntables in them that and a pair of headphones that's in, that's essentially it uh and you can you can record you can create rhymes uh creating bespoke you know recording studios that can facilitate large bands is very expensive and the roundhouse is a fantastic model they have a lot of small dj booths that they rent out for really cheap like five ten pounds an hour or something like that Um, that, and, and that's, there's some terrific content being created and embrace, yeah, embrace genres you don't understand. Drill music is not going to kill you. (laughs) I promise it may not be one's cup of tea, but it could also empower people to express themselves and in ways that get them off of thinking that knife crime is a way forward. Uh, and, um, and who knows, that person could potentially be your next customer for your build-to-rent scheme or your help-to-buy scheme. Like, it's, there are correlations there. And you should be fostering your potential customer base as early as possible. Music's a great way to do that. So, you know, that's being purely commercial about it. Engaging kids in things they like means that you develop a relationship with them so that you can communicate with them about other things later. That other thing could be moving to our brand new mixed use build to rent space with live nation vouchers. Who knows? (laughs) So.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. With music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray and you can reach me on Twitter at at TC Murray. If you like this podcast, you should check out our upcoming Festival of Place on the 9th of July in London. Go to festivalofplace.co.uk